Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. It's Wednesday, July 21st, and welcome into the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you. SEC Media Days week, that means the season is right around the corner. Yours truly uh, is uh, back. A um, couple episodes this week, a few episodes maybe, lots of mailbag questions to get to. Uh, Going to talk about Media Days, talk about some of the things we've heard there. Shane Beamer, uh, I, I guess people nowadays, I, mean, I get asked this a lot when I go on other shows, uh, what do you think about the performance? <laughs> and I guess I guess SEC Media Days in a lot of ways is performance art. I mean, everybody wants to hear from the coach, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you get some narratives coming out of there. It's it's basically, I don't know, refreshing when you hear somebody like Shane, uh, who's a little bit more on the honest. Uh, I'm not gonna say honest, but less less coach speak. That's always good. Nick Saban's always good. I think Mike Leach will be incredible. Lane Kiffin, those guys, but, uh, you know, Beamer more than held his own. But first things first, uh, this segment of the Inside the Game Guys podcast is brought to you by Heritage Digital. Uh, are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? I know I've been there before, not for a while, but uh, when I was there, I was ready to, to punt. Uh, does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but you're still having constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? And are you worried he's not backing up you and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having to deal with these hassles? That, that's all the case. Call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital or go to heritagedigital.com. Matthew's number is 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. If you have one employee or 500, Heritage Digital will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Uh, Heritage will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your network works correctly all the time for one low monthly fee. Uh, It's a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California and all places in between, Heritage Digital has you covered no matter where you're at in this great country of ours. Again, if you're sick and tired of constant computer and network issues, call my friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of the issues that negatively impact your business once and for all. That's 843-664-8989 and heritagedigital.com uh, if you want to take advantage of that. And I encourage you to do so. If you guys like the podcast, you like me, you don't have to like me, just listen to me. And you like this uh Heritage and I help consulting sponsors the mailbag it keeps it up and going um, and will allow us, you know, once we get to the season, have more things to talk about to do this on a daily basis. That's uh, that's the key there with any advertiser. Uh, so I, I encourage you to patronize uh, these guys. Okay. Media days uh, happened. Uh, Shane Beamer, Nick Muse, JJ and Igbari down in Birmingham, Hoover. Um, you know, I thought that Beamer did a really good job of, of keeping the focus on South Carolina. Uh, I've said for a long time, you know, th- this program, and, and this is not something that I necessarily would blame on Will Muschamp. Uh, I don't, I don't think, you know, this is something that was 
unique to him. I think that when you have Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier as your coach back to back for fifth, what is what was it, sixteen and a half years? Uh, you know, and those guys are not there anymore. People kind of, you know, and you're not winning big. Uh, people kind of start to ignore you. I mean, I, I think the the 2017 2018 offseason, South Carolina got some pub because of the win over Michigan in the Outback Bowl and the expectations for that year. But then you lose 41 17 at home to Georgia in week two and a, and a big nationally televised game. You kind of go back by the wayside. Um, and, you know, it, it's a situation where a lot of programs across the country in the playoff era, you know, whenever, I mean, actually in the playoff era, because, you know, of the same teams going every year and the immense focus on that, you, you lose some, uh, I don't want to say credibility, but uh, you lose some relevance, I think, because nobody's really talking about you, good or bad. And you see some of the takes on the team this year, and I'm not saying they're bad takes. I'm just saying that, you know, it, it's kind of easy to look at the the season they had, two and eight, discount the fact it was all SEC, look at the last games of the year, Defense couldn't stop anybody. Offense struggled, you know, and, and and kind of ignore that there's a lot of players on the roster heading into this season that weren't playing at the end of last year. And so there's a renewed hope. There's new schemes on both sides of the ball, that kind of thing. Uh, but people kind of discount that. And I've got some questions about some of the predictions coming up in the mailbag. Uh, and I think you need relevance. And, and I think that you know, when you look at the recruiting right now, these guys have gone above and beyond to communicate that relevance. And then when guys get on campus and they see a nice facility, they see the atmosphere, feel the atmosphere. I use that term feel a lot. You know, it's, it's worked out uh, for the most part. You know, they hadn't gotten everybody, but they're going to keep on recruiting. Uh, I think Beamer's got 10 guys uh, that are really into recruiting. And that's something that certainly uh, – it's not that common. I mean, you, even in Alabama and places like that, you'll have a couple of guys that don't really sign that many guys or more, you know, X's and O's coaches and things like that. And, you know, they'll get involved sometimes. But then, then you have your recruiters. But all these guys can recruit, you know, um, every single one of them, one through ten. Uh, I do think there's some work to be done in recruiting, quite frankly. Uh, I think the team ranking is good right now because you won't – you want that publicity again? I talked about relevance, but uh, you know there's still work to be done at a number of positions. Uh, namely, you know I'd say linebacker, receiver, running back. You know we'll see what happens there uh, in terms of those numbers at that specific positions. Tight end behind Oscar Delp. Uh, I don't know. You know what the you know where they will go if they'll go portal or whatnot if they if they miss on some of these guys. But uh, I do think that you know, it's gone as well as could be expected. And I think Shane Beamer at Media Days, the idea is to, you know, sell your program, you know, talk about the job, introduce yourself to the the assembled media and all that. And I think he did a really good job of that. I think, uh, you know, in terms of the media reaction, I saw several articles, you know, winners and losers from Media Day. I just, I don't know about losers and winners from something like that. I mean, I quit going to the thing a while back because it's streamed now and uh, it started to get on my nerves, quite frankly, with some of the questions people ask. But, um, you know, I watched it and saw the reaction and 
you know, a lot of people were saying, hey, winter Shane Beamer, he's refreshing and very cool and, <clears throat> you know, uh, complimentary, positive, and you can feel that positive energy. And I think, I think that goes a long way because then other people start talking about you recruits read it and, Oh, South Carolina. Okay. So that's uh that's a step, you know, now look, I still think there's a ways to go uh, in terms of the relevance uh, around South Carolina. And uh, I think that there is a plan in place to do that, but you, I mean, you know, winning obviously is what, uh, what will cause South Carolina to, you know, get that relevance back. I mean, you, you can't beat like the 2010 season from a relevance standpoint when you're beating Alabama and Spurs on Sports Center and game days there, and then you go to the swamp and win, and you know, then you play in the SEC championship game. I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff that really adds gasoline to the fire. Um, and South Carolina's a ways off from that, but I think. You know, having a good year this year is, is you know, within the grasp. Uh, I certainly don't necessarily agree with the Gamecocks being down a ways. Now, look, uh, some of you out there that are convinced Luke Doty is not the answer at quarterback, well, if you're right, then, yeah, it could be a long year. I mean, uh, I, I tend to think there's a lot of overreaction about Luke based on – three games thrown through the fire, and then a spring game that was basically a scrimmage. Uh, I think the receiving core is much, much more of a big question mark than, than the quarterback position. Uh, that said, you know, it'd be dumb for me to sit here and just predict, no, Luke Doty's going to be throw for 3,000 yards and rush for 1,000. and all. I mean, I'm not saying that at all. He has a ways to go just like everybody. Uh, again, reports have been from inside the program. He's had a big summer really come into his own, but that's off-season workouts, man, you know. Uh, so if Luke Doty has struggles, let, let's say the back seven on defense does not come together, I mean, you can't just roll out there with the D-line. D-line can make a difference. Don't get me wrong, and, it, and you know, but you got to look at the D-line and go, well, they, they weren't very good last year. Uh, and, and then so you're counting on Jordan Burt, Zach Pickens taking a step Enig Barre, I, I think, definitely has taken a step. I mean, look at that guy's in the best shape of his career. It's a year where he could really play himself into a first-round draft pick, uh, which I think that gives him all the motivation in the world. You got Jordan Strong coming in, who was one of the guys that missed spring. People don't talk about him a whole lot. Aaron Sterling's back. Uh, so the D-line has – I mean, you know, you, you got guys that came in like Jakeem Green. Uh, you got Boogie Huntley inside. You, you've got, uh, you know, a lot of guys that um, Nick Barrett is a freshman that looks really good. Um, you know, so you got some got some players. Uh, but, you know, th there is the chance that the linebackers and secondary struggle and then you know, have trouble stopping people. You know, so, so there is a chance, you know, that this team struggles. I mean, there, there's no question about it. There's a lot of ifs. But but in my opinion, those ifs can go either way. And I think when I look at the SEC East, there's a lot of ifs uh, up and down the, the deal outside of Georgia. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, and I'm going to tell you this. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up something real quick here and see, see what you guys think. Uh, again, you can could, you could hit me up on the mailbag if, if you know. So Florida, 
I got a lot of confidence in Dan Mullen. I've had a tendency to underrate their abilities to win games down there his first three years. I, I think last year I kind of backed off of it, but they won the East last season. They finished eight and four, but COVID year, they won eight SEC games. That LSU game was ridiculous. But look at their schedule. Okay, so they open with Florida Atlantic, probably a win. They go at USF, probably a win, you know, with a 50-50 split. But they play Alabama at home. That's probably a loss. Tennessee at home. That's probably a win. So you're three and one. Then they go at Kentucky. That's tricky. Vanderbilt at home. At LSU, tricky. Georgia and Jacksonville, probably a loss. At South Carolina, tricky. Sanford comes in. They go at Missouri and then Florida State. That's a very a schedule for, for a team that's lost so much talent on offense, especially. And their defense has been questionable for a while. Um that's a that's a schedule full of potholes, I think, for the Florida Gators. Um, now I would pick them second in the East just because behind them there's way more question marks. <laughs> you know, Kentucky, Missouri, South Carolina, Tennessee. But I, I don't know that it with that schedule that it's a layup that the Gators finish second. Uh, I think there's just a lot of question marks outside of Georgia in the SEC East, and I, I feel even more that way looking at the schedule for Florida just because. Yeah, there's games they should win, but then there's some they could trip up, you know, and and not be, you know, they could be eight and four, seven and five this year, you know, and that's nothing against them. Again, I tend to underrate them. I'm not making that mistake this year. Uh, Twenty nine and nine for Dan Danny Kicks uh, speaks for itself. Gamecocks not to worry about them until the week after the Georgia game, but they do come to Columbia. I think South Carolina's competed very well against Florida the last three years. Um, so we'll see there. But my point of all this is it's not just a given that Florida and Georgia are going to be the top two. I think probably Georgia is a strong, I would say a strong, strong favorite because as tricky as Florida's schedule is, Georgia's eh, not so much. They got Clemson, the neutral site game we all know about. Then you go UAB, Carolina, Vandy, Arkansas. The Vandy game is the only road game. They're at Auburn October 9th. They've beaten Auburn pretty good over the years, recently especially. Kentucky, then they play the Gators, then Missouri at home. Late a November game at Tennessee. It's like Tennessee and Auburn have flipped places on their schedule. Charleston Southern, and then they go to Atlanta to play Georgia Tech. So there's really – when your road games are Clemson on a neutral site, that's very tough, obviously. But then at Vandy, at Auburn, who you've dominated – at Tennessee, who you've dominated, and at Georgia Tech, who you've dominated. That's that's a more favorable setup for the Bulldogs. So I don't think there's any question Georgia uh, is the team to beat in the SEC East. As for the Gamecocks and Beamer, I'd, I'll just say this generally. I, I think it's paramount. I like that word, paramount. That the program gets back to standard sooner rather than later and you know you look at the standard and people are how and you know not happy with seven and six or eight and five or whatever but if you look since 2000 most seasons have ended up seven eight wins um good years those are very good years and i think we all can be a little more appreciative of those seven or eight win teams that spurrier had and eight and nine win teams Holtz had early on 
even the the seven, six, seven, nine win teams Muschamp had at the beginning, because four and eight and two and eight, that's ugly. <laughs> I mean, two and eight's the worst record since 0 and 11 in 1999. It's the worst two year period since 98, 99. You know, and 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 it's not as bad as it was then. That was one in 21. You know, two winless years in the SEC in a row. You know, I still remember. Gosh, I guess it was. WTBS, not TBS, the big spur, but TBS college football preview. I was watching the night before the 2000 New Mexico State game where the Gamecocks broke the streak and they were picking New Mexico State to come in there and cut the Gamecocks. Gamecocks won 31 nothing, of course, and that was the start of a big turnaround year for Lou Holtz. But it's not as bad as it was then. You know, this team at the end of the day – Nobody's happy with six and 16, but this is a team that was good enough to go beat Georgia and Athens. It was good enough to beat Auburn at home last year. Um, There have been times where they've shown signs of life. Uh, Obviously I am not excusing it. And there's a reason there's a new coach Uh, as Shane Beamer pointed out. um, The losing was unacceptable, but you know, if you sit there and look at it, it's, it's not, it's not a situation, I think, from a roster standpoint. All right, so, so I'm going to explain it like this. Okay, from a roster standpoint, just players, you know, how many players do you have? Top to bottom, do you have guys that can play in the NFL? Yes. Uh, do you have talent overall? Yes. You know, your lines of scrimmage are good. You know, that that's a that's a starting point. Um, you look at the teams, Muschamp and Spurrier took over. Um and, the, and those teams really were not good on either line of scrimmage. Uh, the team Holtz took over in 1999, which the concern would be that this 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 would be the problem this year. And and they're, the, the staff that's there now has worked really hard to kind of correct it. There's two different ways you can go with this. You can you can run like a uh, a boot camp and run a lot of people off and. All that, which I think, you know, has happened before <laughs> at Carolina. Um, or you can kind of come in with a lot of positivity and understand that, you, you know, there are players on your roster that are good and they, they have to play with confidence. That 0-11 team, number one, it was decimated by injuries. Number two, their offensive scheme was bad. Um, number three, those guys didn't know how to win. They did. They just from the start, from the from the NC State game in the monsoon, where you know Derek Watson goes up the middle for a touchdown and it gets called back by penalty to having a block punt in that game, to the East Carolina game, which was fumble city and a loss, uh, all the way down back to like Florida and Clemson at the end of the year, which were closer than expected but losses nonetheless. That team had no idea how to win. And that's the challenge, I think, for Shane Beamer and his staff. You know, these guys have to play confident uh, and they have to overcome adversity when it happens because it will happen. I mean, it's the Southeastern Conference. I mean, you look, you know, I mentioned Florida. Pretty good season last year, right, in Gainesville. They nearly knocked off Bama in the championship game, beat Georgia for the first time in a while, you know, but – December 12th, they're playing LSU at the Swamp. Some guy throws a shoe, and they lose, and it knocks them out of the playoff, you know. How did they respond to that adversity? Well, you know, you look at it, they competed really hard against Bama, uh, so you'd say pretty well there. Uh, 
Uh, and then by the, time, by the time they got to the Cotton Bowl and lost badly to Oklahoma, just to be honest, it was uh, – they were kind of like the Gamecocks at the end of the year last year in terms of massive personnel losses. You know, had so many guys opt out. Caltrass had no receivers. Oklahoma's against that defense, which wasn't good to begin with. Um, you know, a lot of issues there. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, how you respond – is the sign of a winning team. Um, and, you know, that's all there is to it. I mean, you know, and so adversity is going to hit this season, and uh, we'll see how the Gamecocks handle that. And, and I think, too, I'll say this. Uh, when you uh, when you have a lot of positivity uh, and a lot of stuff, uh, you know, a lot of stuff going on where people are feeling good, you know, that helps that that's designed to help when adversity hits uh, to overcome it, to overcome the bottom of the uh, uh, the bottoms, I guess, just like life. You know, when you it's not necessarily what happens, it's how you respond. And, uh, you know, that's kind of it's just kind of how it is. So uh, I will um, I will leave it at that. I did think SEC media days was, was a very positive thing for the Gamecocks. You know, a lot of other topics floating around Birmingham. NIL, we've talked that to death. No, I don't think Bryce Young, without being the starting quarterback at Bama, should have a million dollars. But uh, I would I would much rather see this as a product of on-field performance. Uh, but, you know, that's just kind of kind of how it goes, I guess. You know, Bama folks have – deep pockets uh, and they're getting behind their guy. So uh, we'll see sort of what happens, but um, uh, you know, NIL transfer portal, that kind of things talk to death. Uh, Ed Orgeron and his situation at LSU with the scandal, he didn't say much um, and was named a loser of SEC media days because of it. I'm like, ah, come on, man, you can't, it's an ongoing investigation. Some of it's criminal, you know, you don't, you can't talk about it. You know, I don't know. You know, I, I don't think Edward Geron is completely tone deaf. I just think, you know, he's probably not going you know, you're probably not going to talk about something like that. But anyway, those are all subjects. Uh, Gamecocks did get a commitment, the long awaited commitment of Keenan. People want to know why I hadn't had a podcast. I've been waiting on this to happen uh, to break it down. Keenan Nelson Jr., four star prospect. Out of Philadelphia, Gamecocks beat Penn State on him. He had offers from all over the country. Uh, listed as a corner, could play any of the positions in the defensive backfield. Really good football player. Uh, and another big get from the, the Northeast, you know, uh, second guy out of Pennsylvania they've gotten. If you include Braden Davis from Delaware, that's three in this class. You know, South Carolina really, I think, uh, has done a really good job expanding the base. I wrote about that when Beamer first got hired. You know, you you need to uh, you need to um, you need to get it done. So that's uh, that's kind of what uh, what it is. I just got a window here. Okay, there we go. Um, you know, so yeah, right, so two from PA, one from Delaware, that's three. You got two from Texas. Those are five guys outside of the four state, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida base. So 
with 16 commits, five of them, almost a third, uh, are from out, uh, out of the normal region, you know, Texas and the Northeast. So, you know, if you think about it in a year where North Carolina is not rolling in recruiting, the Tar Heels, you make a go sign three to five from, from NC. Will you – yeah, that's a, that's a big challenge this year, and I still think South Carolina will get a player from North Carolina or two. Uh, but you you know you got to go elsewhere, so you know you go and dig, uh, and it's paid off so far uh, for the Gamecocks uh, with the 15th ranked class, number five in the SEC uh, as things stand right now. Um, so that's the news and notes for today. Uh, gonna get it to the I Help Consulting mailbag because there's a bunch. As you probably know, and if you're a business owner and you're always looking to save time and money, that's where iHelp Consulting can help. iHelp is a Gamecock-owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. Now, this is different than Heritage Digital. Heritage Digital is going to get your network fast. Uh, they're going to make sure they're backing up your data. They're going to—it's—it's it's all you know technical. iHelp is just going to scour your business. And if you think you're paying too much for credit card processing, uh, internet service, uh, insurance, or anything else, I help can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And remember, if they can't help save your business any money, you don't pay them anything. That's right. If I help can't help your business, it's no cost to you. So call or text Daniel, uh, Daniel Owens at I help 843-372-5713 or visit IHelpConsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. Nothing to lose here, folks. That number again is 843-372-5713. I help consulting. How can I help you? The uh, sponsor of the I help consulting mailbag. Now, there's two ways to get in the mailbag, the I help consulting mailbag. Um, you know, <laughs> Nick Saban, by the way, on the quarterback getting a seven-figure deal. I think, first of all, what I said before, anything that I say now, because there's no precedent for it, you really don't know how it's going to affect things. That's true. It's a wait and see with all that stuff. But like I said, we've talked that to death. So uh, first mailbag question is a basketball question. Comes in um, from Bullheaded Pod. Hey, JC, have you seen Jay-Z and Gortman from Keenan High? I've watched his highlights. Uh, 24-7 as as the best point guard in the nation. Does Carolina have a shot at all? Saw where Florida State is where he's leaning. leaning. How is that possible? They also had two guys committed and signed one from the state last year. Yeah. Um, Florida State's been a very popular basketball program. And, and, and you have to think about this, man. You know, what they are doing, and I think a lot of people probably don't necessarily – I mean, they don't realize it because, number one, Florida State football is struggling. <laughs> Uh, it's been a it's been a struggle down there. And they're trying to get it right and all that good stuff. Um, number two, Leonard Hamilton, seventy two years old. That I don't think we think about that either. Uh, number three, they haven't had the tournament success down there that you would have liked. Uh, you know, they've been really great in the ACC. Uh, and, and, you know, you have to think about this, too. Leonard Hamilton, he's been at Florida State almost 20 years. Uh, and there's just a ton of postseason. I mean, they've been to the uh, second round, Elite Eight, Sweet 16. Uh, they finished first in the ACC during the COVID year. They got canceled. They went to Sweet 16 last year. So they're kind of rolling as far as success goes. If you count it up, one, two, three, four, 
it's funny because Leonard Hamilton, one, two, three, four, five, six, first six years at Florida State, no NCAAs and four NITs. Then he got bounced in the first round the next two years. So his first eight years, two first-round exits, whatever. Didn't break through to the Sweet 16 until year nine. Um, so they gave him time, and he's getting it done. Um, and so, so my point of all this is, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think that Red, I don't know that Red likes the Seminoles. Red's probably a, a Gator fan or Miami Hurricanes fan, I would guess. But uh, you know, I, I don't think people realize how good Florida State's been in basketball over the years, just because they haven't been to a final four. Uh, there's so much focus on the NCAA tournament uh, when, when you're a college bad major college basketball program on the men's side, even the women's side too. I mean, it's, it's really how far do you advance? And so they've had some disappointing post seasons. Uh, haven't, you know, like I said, hadn't Florida state's been to a final four before, I think in the eighties, uh, but they, uh, you know, hadn't made it under Hamilton, but I, I think people lose sight of how good they are. And they've recruited, you know, at a pretty high level. Gamecocks play them in Rock Hill this year. So they get a shot at the at the mighty Knowles on the hardwood. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it doesn't surprise me. And Gorman, too, don't rule out him going to Europe or something and playing a year and just going straight to the pros, uh, you know, from what I've heard. Maybe not. Maybe so. Maybe he does go to Florida State. As far as the Gamecocks go, they've gotten him on campus a couple of times. Uh, they're, they're really trying hard with him. But we all know that the in-state basketball, best of the best, a lot of times does not work out for the in-state programs in the state of South Carolina. Uh, and that's all, you know, we'll get into all that basketball season and, and stuff. But uh Good question, um, you know, about Gortman. Certainly Keenan High School, really good player. Um, and certainly, you know, South Carolina's trying. I, I think with the Florida State thing, though, uh, the issue is people kind of just consider it a football school and they don't realize they've been one of the very best teams in the in the ACC, which is not easy uh, for going on five or six years now. So that's, that's probably the deal there. At Cox School says, JC, curious what you think about Michael Bratton's prediction that a Tennessee's depleted team will finish that high, while Carolina with an amazing backfield and D-line struggles to finish above Vandy. I just don't see it. Yeah, I think it's probably because of the unknowns. Um, And and look, man, Tennessee is sort of a mystery because I'll say this. I think they got quarterbacks to run that system there with Heupel. Um. Of course, that system at Missouri was very inconsistent. Uh, people don't think about that. You know, they just think about, well, he lit it up at UCF, and so Tennessee's going to score, score, score. And and look, maybe they will. Maybe they won't. Um, receiver and quarterback, I think, is pretty good shape. Uh, I think Tion Evans from the state of South Carolina could really help their run game, but you know, their best running back by a mile, Eric Gray, is at Oklahoma. And Ty Chandler, their backup, is now at North Carolina. Those guys are starting. Um, you know, they're going to have a new quarterback. They may be upgrading, though, from Garantano. Uh, defense has been depleted. Henry Toa Toa, who's at Bama now, was their best player by a mile uh, on defense. And then they lost some good defensive backs that have played a lot of football. You know, they got a new coordinator on defense. You just don't know. 
you don't know exactly how they're going to be. I picked Tennessee lower. Um, I think I picked Tennessee sixth in the league. Uh, and I think I picked Missouri above Kentucky just because I like Connor Bezalak. Uh, probably shouldn't have, but uh, I did. So, no, I don't agree with mine. I'm going to have Mike on the podcast at some point. I'm not going to call – he's a friend of mine, so I'm not going to call him out on this. Uh, but I'll ask him. I'll ask him the question and, and see what he has to say. Uh, you know, I, I I think that maybe there's some impression out there that South Carolina, even with their schedule, the first seven games – is probably a four and three team at best against those seven games, uh, you know, with a loss to Georgia and maybe two more at Tennessee and at home against Kentucky, but, or maybe even Troy, who knows Troy, Troy can jump up and bite people every now and then. But, um, you know, so, so I think that's a question. I mean, I, I think, I think people kind of look at that and go, well, Kentucky could go either way. They beat them six out of seven. And I think too, and I don't know that this is what Mike thought, I think people look at that Kentucky game last year and put way too much into it. Okay. Uh, first of all, Gamecock fans put a lot into it based on Luke Doty's performance in that game, which was his worst game. You know, they, they, they just think about that game and it's like, you know, and Doty, honest to God, didn't play well. He missed open receivers. He turned the ball over. He needed to score almost every possession uh, in that one because your defense was completely depleted. I mean, Kentucky looked like Alabama out there. You know, Gamecocks just could not stop them. And if you look at who was actually playing for the Gamecocks, it was like a spring game. I mean, it wasn't, you know, you had Gilbert Edmond, who's gained 20 pounds according to the roster and going to be a really good edge guy out there standing up playing linebacker just because Daryl Ware played most of the game. Jalen Foster, those are two in-state kids that try hard, but they're walk-ons. You know, no linebackers. You know, Cam Smith at one corner, and then who knows at the other. And safeties were bad. I mean, it was, it was not a legitimate defense that the Gamecocks were throwing out there. And so, I think too much is made of that. I, I think that, you know, yes, six out of seven Kentucky's won, but if you look at the games that have been in Columbia, you know, twenty nineteen Carolina beat them. I know their quarterback was out, uh, but that mattered. Um, it may not have mattered. I don't, I don't know. Uh, you look at 2017, that was probably the most disappointing loss of the Muschamp era. Uh, and then in 2015, you know, they got up 24 to seven or whatever and halftime and then held on for dear life. Gamecocks lost that one 26 22. Perry Orth led a, a massive comeback. Um, and so it's not like they've been coming in and just thumping Carolina at home uh, if that game were in lexington which has been a house of horrors uh, south carolina has not won in lexington once since 2010 that was 2012 and even in that game with as bad as kentucky was that year gamecocks were behind at halftime uh, i think the second half they just gave it to marcus Lattimore a bunch and ended up winning 38 17 in 2012 but that was that was still a tricky game but uh the games in columbia folks it's the SEC home opener, so regardless of what happens first three games, you know the crowd's going to be there, and it's a big recruiting weekend and all that. But I'll ask Mike about that, and I appreciate your your tweet. Again, you can tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Uh, you can email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Those are the two ways to get into the I Help Consulting mailbag. And, um, yeah, so uh, – 
That's that. I don't think I said that earlier, by the way. Uh, Cox School also says, Coach Beamer is a hell of a recruiter here in Texas, according to high school coaches. He has real momentum on the recruiting trail and is expanding South Carolina's footprint. I would agree with that. I think, um, you know, Texas, is that going to be a place Carolina's going to go be able to sign four or five SEC-level players every year? Probably not, but one or two, absolutely. You know, even one every couple of years out of Texas that's good, uh, I think that's a good deal because, you know, Carolina has not, you know, necessarily – uh, been a big recruiting team in the state of Texas, but Texas is an SEC state now, technically, with AM in the league, and more and more teams from the East, especially, are going into Texas and getting guys. If you can find some players, go do it. So, C. Pate says, JC, love the show. Yesterday, a reporter asked Beamer what would make a successful year for the Gamecocks. He gave a true but admittedly cliche answer. What's your definition of a successful year in 2021? What's your definition of an unsuccessful year? Unsuccessful to me would be another like disaster of a year. Now, I don't know if you put a number on it, you know, the four to eight, if you go, let's say you go four, I mean, you look and there's some, when you start talking about the game costs going four to eight, you're counting on them losing games that nobody's going to be happy with losing. You see what I'm saying? Like, like you're going to lose to Kentucky and Missouri and Tennessee if you go four and eight. Otherwise, you're looking at maybe a loss to Troy or East Carolina, which would be totally bad, uh, in my opinion. So, and, and then there's a lot of what ifs. I mean, you know, you, you don't know. I mean, I mentioned Florida earlier. What if, you know, Florida doesn't replace their good players well? They have some issues. They're not as good. And they come in and they're a seven point underdog to South Carolina and Columbia, and Gamecocks lose. Well, you know, the beginning of the year, you know, it's like, that's an acceptable loss, but, you know, you lose that one then. You know, what if Auburn is an underdog coming into Carolina and you lose that one? Um, you know, what if you're a heavy favorite at Tennessee and you lose that one because that's happened before? Um, I think that, that what Beamer said, even though it, it does sound cliche, you have to remember this, and this is, this is a very important thing because this is what made Steve Spurrier as a head coach really good or one of the things that made him a head coach. He doesn't put pressure on his teams to win. Now, nobody loves winning and hates losing more than Steve Spurrier, but uh, I think sometimes you can put too much emphasis uh, on the final score and, and then you don't play your best. Uh, and I'll give you an example during the Muschamp era. You know, they're playing Florida. Florida's in bad shape. Obviously, Kurt Roper and Coleman Hutzler and Mike Peterson and Will Muschamp there. You know, at that point, that was a team that ended up winning nine at Carolina. I know a lot of teams got fired that year and a lot of near misses in that season. <laughs> but uh, it still was fun uh, to win that many games, go win the Outback Bowl, that kind of thing. And Florida's coming to town, and the night before, all I heard was, you know, they're going to try to light them up and all this other stuff. Well, that game, if you remember correctly, Jake Bentley throws a couple of picks early, and it ended up being closer than it should have been. Uh, with Randy Shannon on the sidelines for the Gators as an interim head coach. Chris Rump calling the defense, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, I, you know, the, I, I think that was an example of a game Carolina won where they were trying to blow somebody out. And 
you know, you, you can't really play like that. I, I think if you want another example of that, look at Clemson's defense in 2018 against the Gamecocks. All those yards and points. Now, there's a theory from the upstate that, you know, maybe they intentionally did that. We're hiding things for Bama. And if you watch that Bama game that year, you certainly believe that. But, you know, I think Clemson's kids were trying to blow them. I mean, just trying too hard. Uh, because the word out of there at the beginning, you know, that week of the game was they can just name their score and go win. And it doesn't work that way. So Steve Spurrier, uh, his thing as a head coach was always just go play your best and keep playing, you know, play your best, play your best. And I think that's Shane Beamer. We need to be as good as we can be. Uh, Keep in mind, Shane Beamer picked up a lot from head coaches (laughs) around the country. Uh, And and I think the teams that are focused on playing their best, playing the next play, uh, are the ones that end up being successful. I I think, you know, there are times when teams that, I mean, you know, are are like that end up pressing too hard and trying to blow a team out. That's kind of human nature sometimes. But uh, I think the teams that consistently are good in college football, even some of the great ones, uh, they end up focusing more on maximizing their performance as a team and individually uh, rather than focusing on the scoreboard. You know, Because I, I think, too, a lot of times you get in a game, you focus on the scoreboard, even if you're up, you know, and then you start – other team responds, you know, you can lose momentum really quick and ultimately lose the game. So that's, that's kind of my take there. Uh, Chris tweets at me. Again, you can tweet – please – Follow at the Big Spur Pod too. Uh, I retweet these from that account when I answer them, and it's a lot. A lot of us just to keep up with it. Um, but Chris says, "What are your thoughts on the pass rush and the D line as a whole this year? I feel like this could be our best since the Spurrier era. It could be. Um, I, 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 what I like about it is there's guys that have an immense amount of talent that could be as good as they want with Zach, like Zach Pickens and Jordan Birch and. Then you got guys that are, you know, extremely um, – sorry about that. I mean, Vinick Barry, that was one of the best sack, sackers in the SEC last year on a bad defense. Aaron Sterling is a, a proven player in terms of production. He's got a lot of sacks in his career, you know, obviously was out last year. Uh, and then Jordan Strong led the country – in sacks, tied for the lead at Georgia State last year. He's up to 245 pounds. I mean, that guy could be really, really good from a pass rushing standpoint. So I, th- I think from a when you're talking about production from a pass rushing point of view, it's uh, you know, it, it, it's a group that you, you know you kind of like having that mix of potential uh, and experience uh, and proven production. I think these guys got to get better against the run, uh, you know, and, and I think sometimes when your linebacker situation is less than ideal and the team's gutting you, you know, you worry about it being the D line. It's really not the D line at all. It's this linebackers getting out of position. Safety's getting misaligned, that kind of thing, because many times the D line, they're not really responsible for stopping a guy in his tracks. You know, they're trying to engage the, the guards and tackles and keep them off of your linebackers so they can make plays. Um, but I don't think the D-line did a good job of that last year either. 
I didn't mention Jabari Ellis either. They they really like him, and he's an old grizzled veteran out there now. And uh, you know he's productive. So so they got a lot of guys. I mean, you know, could it be best since the Spurrier era? Yes. Will it necessarily show if they're struggling on the back end? No. Uh, you know you you can have really good D line and struggle in the other departments and your defense still isn't going to be very good. Now, uh, I have a feeling, I have a sneaky suspicion <laughs> with the addition of Karan Prunty, you know, if Cam Smith can take a, a jump, if they get safety figured out, which hopefully they can, um, and nickel and all that, I think that, I think the secondary could be good. I think with linebacker, they just have to get healthy. It's just, you know, you look at that group as a whole, it's been a mash unit. So, We'll see sort of uh, see sort of what happens, but um, yeah, I, I think the pass rush could be really good, and, and they're banking on that too. I mean, you know, they, you ask anybody around a program, they know D line's going to be really good. Um, so hopefully th- that's the case, and you know, on the flip side of the back seven concerns, you, you look at it sometimes. If you have a really good D line. Even if you're not so great back there, that makes the difference because guys are tipping passes, they're rushing the pass. Uh, I'm sorry, affecting the quarterback, rushing the pass, rushing the passer, that kind of thing, and they're very disruptive in the run game. So that could – the D-line being good could help too. It's 50-50. Sometimes it's not, sometimes it is. So you just got to see what happens. But thanks for the question, Chris. That does does it for all the uh, tweeting, the, the, the tweets to the iHub Consulting inbox. Justin says, hey, JC, I wanted your expert opinion on a couple of running backs this cycle. KZ Adams and Jalen Glover, both around the same height and weight, and both are electric athletes. I know Glover's being prioritized by the staff where Adams is not, even though Adams is in their backyard. I don't see the big difference between the two. What am I missing? Why is Glover more highly regarded as a recruit? I think Glover's thicker. Um, I don't know if KZ is 205 to 208 pounds at 5'7". I know what he's probably listed as, but there are different body types. Um, and I, look, I love KZ Adams. I think I think when you watch his film, that dude, that dude gets after it. But, you know, just like with, with Jalen McGowan from Lawrence – you know, and, and Nico Martinez, a lot of these guys who they who they didn't get a chance to look at in person. You look at a guy in person, you're something. Like, hey, he's too small. Uh, and there's a difference between being okay. He's about an inch shorter or whatever. You know, we'll put 20 pounds of muscle on him and he'll go play. Uh, there's a difference between that and being just like, okay, he's probably not going to get there and be able to physically compete at this level. Uh, and, and you know, look. I, like I said, love Casey Adams on film by all accounts. He's a great kid. Um, I just think that's it right now in terms of the the size. And I, and I think they may be listed similar heights and weights, but Glover's a stockier build, uh, if that makes any sense at all. But, um, you know, look, man, if they took Casey Adams at the end, there's a lot worse players you could take a flyer on, and I would never rule the kid out. But that's – uh that's the difference between the two right now, between Glover and Adams. And um, and that's nothing against Adams. I really like Adams. Thanks for the email, Justin. 
Carwright says uh, Marion Brown made a big splash when he first transferred, and then we never heard a thing about him. Even the coaches never really mentioned him in post-practice interviews. I didn't really think anything of this because he didn't play in the spring game and it's the offseason. But I also noticed that he wasn't on the top 150 transfer portal, which seemed odd. Yeah, don't put any stock into that at all. Um, not that the guy – I mean, I, the guys may have done a great job on it, maybe not. I just think the portal – we're really not going to learn how to rank everybody until we've let it play out for a couple of years and just see. Um, it says, is there in some inside news on this we aren't privy to? I know you had originally said you thought it would be like Shy Smith, but it seems you back off that. I'll, I'll clarify that real quick. I said he's just as good as Shy Smith at the same stage. Um, and Amarian, probably the better comparison. I wish I'd have thought about it. At the time, it's probably Demir Bird rather than Shy, uh, because looking at Amarian's film, I haven't seen like the. Well, I saw a couple of kind of tough catches, but like in the open field, like Shy Smith leaping up, catching it with one hand or whatever, I haven't seen Brown do that. Uh, he's a lot like Bird uh, in the sense that it's just a speed thing, and that he does have ball skills. Uh, Amarian was not able to play in the spring game and was hurt for a portion of the spring. Um, I heard Beamer mention him during media days as a potential return guy. Uh, they have not, they have not given up on him. He's one of the guys that they hope ends up going and playing. Um, you know, his size is, he's a little on the smaller side, of course, but uh, he's got some speed and he's a thickly built kid. Uh, plus, you know, you, you sort of look at it, uh, Amari and, and, and probably going to put a post up about this at some point on the big spur but you look at it amarian brown or trey smith josh van okay brown and smith both had freshman seasons in college where they caught 30 passes each josh van has been around 18 19 ish and then dropped to 10 last year if brown can catch 20 brown uh, i'm sorry if van can catch 20 brown can catch 30 and or trey catches 30 that's 80 passes uh, by committee. Uh, and guys that, you know, Brown and Smith have shown they can find the end zone. Uh, Van, he is kind of what he is, but, uh, you know, we've, everybody's been kind of waiting on him to get better, and he just doesn't seem to have done it. But if he can catch 20 passes, that's going to be very helpful for this team. Um, you know, and, and those aren't even the guys. I mean, the starters are probably going to be DeCaria Joyner and Jalen Brooks. You're talking about the top, the top two receivers. If Amari and Brown doesn't have a big, you know, well, these guys have a big preseason. So if you can get 80 receptions, which has been done by all of these guys, uh, out of your, you know, three through five spots at receiver and your top two guys can have good seasons, Joyner and Brooks, you can, you can piece it together and be okay. Um, I will say the receivers are a concern until they're not. Uh, but, no, there's no inside information other than he missed some time in the spring. Uh, and, you know, they, they'd they like for him to get a little bigger and, uh, you know, thicker, that kind of thing. Because you, you do have to – when you're doing some of this offense, if you notice, there's a lot of bunch formations and things like that. What kind of comes from the Joe Brady deal. And so, in the run game, your receivers are going to have to block some. And you got really back, really good backs. So, you know – you're not going to have Brown out there and running the ball and getting blown up by a big linebacker, right? 
um, if you're running it. So in certain formations, those are all very specific things. Cartwright, as always, I really appreciate your emails. Thank you so much. Mitchell says, JC, with SEC Media Days coming and a lot of journalism, journalist organizations attending, I was curious. If you don't mind answering on how you created and got the big spur to where it is today, was it something you've always wanted to do with Cheer for the Gamecocks growing up? And why did you decide to create the media entity as you have today? What were some of the main challenges attracting viewers? How the big spur eventually be able to get into media access, such as press conferences and listening to your appearances on other podcasts um, like JB and Goldwater, JC Morgan mentioned at times you were at USC Upstate and the actual USC campus as a student. Got Not getting too personal, but did you attend both? Uh, overall, I'm just curious to how you got your brand to where it is today. Well, um, I was in the newspaper business, and I wake up in a cold sweat just about every night, <laughs> uh, having bad dreams about being in that business. Uh, you know, I, I, was, I would get on Gamecock Central and some of the other message boards, and I realized as a high school sports reporter slash college sports reporter, sports editor uh, at the Times in Gainesville, Georgia, that, you know, the newspaper deal, printing the newspaper was beating your head against the wall because I found myself going to the Internet for news, rumors, speculation, conversation, a whole hell of a lot more than I would be reading a newspaper. Um, and that kind of evolved over time. So in 2004, I had the opportunity to go to Rivals.com. Bobby Burton, Shannon Terry, Chris Wallace hired me as a recruiting editor. Um, I was there a couple months, started watching film, grading players. I mean, really skyrocketed. And then, you know, it, it got to be uh, Rivals sold out to Yahoo!, I had always had a lot of interest in the South Carolina market. At the time, there was no competition for Gamecock Central. Uh, you know, we didn't have all the blogs that we do today, podcasts, and Twitter accounts, and stuff like that. And so uh, Keith and I took a chance, and uh, it was an ESPN affiliate initially. Uh, went through that, worked really hard to get relevance. Um we were lucky because Steve Fink was nice enough, the sports information director at Carolina, because of the affiliation with ESPN to grant us credentials from the get-go. Uh, you know, hired John Whittle way back in the day as a volunteer, and he ended up working. We got Tony Morell over from Gamecock Central. We went to 24-7 Sports in 2010. I worked at 24-7 Sports Corporate and for ESPN as a national recruiting guy. Uh during that period, 08 to 15 or whatever. Um, and then kind of, you know, 2016, you know, the big spur and the podcast of sort of last five years, it's been kind of my main focus outside of JC and Morgan College Football Podcast. And, and so, you know, I just had a desire to do it. And, and I think I've been very fortunate that I got the understanding of the business from outside of a single market. So I have a perspective on network and how all of it works big picture wise. Plus, you know, and even how South Carolina stuff fits in uh, the football stuff or, or basketball stuff with the rest of the league, because I do have experience covering other teams and stuff. Uh, and then, you know, 
the bottom line, probably the most important thing is I've been surrounded by good people. I mean, if you notice the big spur, yeah, I get on there and talk to people and, you know, people like, I think they like hearing what I have to say and they listen to the podcast and all that good stuff. But, you know, I've also been very fortunate that I get to work with John Whittle and Hale McGranahan and Tony Morell and John Del Bianco and Kerry Rich and Ryan Bethay and, you know, all the guys and really all the guys I've had over the years, even the ones that have left, you know, Wes Mitchell and Chris Clark worked for me. You know, Wes was full-time for a while before he went to Central and Chris Clark started as an intern for me. Uh, and so those guys were really good and really helpful. So I've, I've had a lot of help with it. Um, did I go to USC, USC? Yeah. Okay. So what happened was this, I, I ended up, I was at upstate and then I decided I'm going to give Columbia a shot, uh, moved down there, uh, really good two years of my life, uh, met who would be my future wife, not my ex-wife on campus while I was there. Gamecock snapped a losing streak while I was there. Uh, I lived at place on the green and five points. Uh, but you know what? Um, big time, but, you know, academically, <laughs> it, uh, it was less than stellar. I would, it was weird because it, it, it USC upstate, you know, you, that's a commuter school. I always had a job. I was always going back and forth, social life, all that. Uh, and I was a pretty good BC student well, at South Carolina. It was like a or F. <laughs> I mean, I had my first A's, you know, and a first F. And, you know, honest to God, if I had to do over again, I'd probably be a 4.0 student. I just – I had some uh, other things I like to do better, quite frankly. Um, and so, you know, my wife – or future wife at the time graduated, and she was going back – she was from the Greenville area. And I did some math and looked at it, and I'm like, well, I have all this – credit from USC upstate that some of it doesn't apply to the degree at USC. I'm just going to go to upstate and finish. And uh, I think I took 39 semester hours uh, over a course of one year and one summer session, graduated with a double degree in theater and journalism and uh, never looked back at the same time. I did a, an internship with the Anderson independent mail. My friend, John Brazier hired me there uh, ended up getting my first job in newspapers at the Seneca Daily Journal. Yeah, I was covering Clemson a lot. Uh, interesting point about the Seneca Daily Journal. I worked there in 02 when the Gamecocks smacked the Tigers uh, out of the College World Series. And, you know, I think everybody in that building besides me thought Clemson was going to win the national championship of baseball. So, you know, I sat there quietly <laughs> after that happened. Uh, and then a guy named Rob Josberry called me up, and I'll never forget because I was actually at my grandmother's funeral in Myrtle Beach and called me up. I was up for a job at Spartanburg Herald Journal covering Clemson. I was up for a job at the state covering the Gamecocks. They did not hire me. I'm sure they regret that, um, but who knew? Um, and Rob calls me up from the Gainesville Times, hires me as a high school sports guy, and within six months he left and I became the editor. And then I went to rivals. So that's, that's kind of how it all unfolded. Um, and now you aren't getting too personal. I, you know, I, I think it's, it's an interesting thing uh, in terms of that. And, you know, I, like I said, as far as the big Spurs success and the brand goes, I've been very fortunate to work with great people that have contributed to that success that have bought into the overall vision of it. Um, and, and I think that's all you need. 
you know, when you have a team. Uh, Mark says, with a plethora of pass rushing talent in 2021, could you see a scenario where we line up Strong, Burt, Tinnick, Barry, and Sterling all on the field at the same time during obvious passing downs? I could see that. Because you can still slide Birch and Enigbari inside. Are you? I mean, they slid Sterling inside with some success as a pass rusher. The previous staff did. I think it would have to be on obvious passing downs. Because what you don't want to do is on a third and six, you know, they're running RPO and, and you, you've got that package in and they just check to a, a running play and their line blows you off the ball and you give up eight and that's first down. But – um and then they may go no huddle on you and run a quick uh, draw play. And then the running backs in the end zone, the other bands play. Uh, but yeah, I could see that happening. I don't, you know, Brad Lawing had a rabbits, rabbits package that he worked pretty well when he was at Carolina. And that's kind of where the term came from. Muschamp had a rabbits package that worked well at times. Uh, I don't know Clayton White's specific deal, but I, I, I'm pretty sure there is one. Uh, to make that work, but yeah, I mean, you're you're right. If if these guys can all go do it, that that would be a great deal uh, for the Gamecocks. All right, Tristan says two questions. Tristan's a first time emailer, I think. Thank you, Tristan. Uh, how can we find the players' nil agency to be able to connect with them for opportunities? I do not have that answer right now. I can find out for you. Um, I actually need to find that out. So last time I checked, they were kind of in the process of all that. Uh, two, I've been saying this all offseason, but I want to hear what you think about it. With the offensive strength being Doty's speed and our stable of running backs, along with the questions at receiver and deep accuracy, wouldn't the spread option be our most dangerous threat? I think they're going to have some – he said, I know since we're in the pistol now, we can bring the read option and that we wouldn't want to tip our hand in the spring game, but I think that would be our most explosive attack, not to mention so fun to watch. Thanks for the time and love your show. I can see some stuff like that happen, definitely. Um, I need to go back and really watch sort of what Oklahoma did with Jalen Hurts, because I think that's kind of the idea with Doty. Um, I don't know if they ran a spread option or read option, zone read, that kind of thing or not. I mean, that's pretty common with a lot of teams that have guys that can run. Um, just remembering, like, when Hurts was at Alabama with Lane Kiffin as a true freshman, they ran a lot of that. So, um, And, yeah, they're in the pistol a little bit, but that's not really – you know, that, that's part of the offense. They're, they're, I don't uh, – I know Beamer likes the pistol. Uh, I know I like the pistol. I think with the backs they have, that's a pretty good deal. But uh, I don't know if that's going to be the base or, or whatever. So we'll see what happens. But I, I'll try to find that agency thing. I don't know. Uh, and I've asked, and I don't get a lot of answers on it. So it may be a while, but uh, I'll be sure to pass that along. Tristan, don't be a stranger. Thanks for the email. Keith said, hey, JC, any great phrases in recruiting that make you cringe when you hear them? Mine would be anything related to cross-training or guys that can play multiple positions. After Muschamp, I lose faith in a player that I hear can play multiple positions. I think not having pure wide receivers, corners, or safeties was one of his downfalls at Carolina. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, Keith, I understand where you're coming from. I do. And you know, anything about an error that error that didn't error, error, <laughs> error that did not work out and and just the sheer volume of coaching jargon that Muschamp would throw out in press conferences. I get it. Uh, Muschamp's a ball coach though. So he's going to do that. And frankly, I kind of like 
the the uh, the coach the coach speak in terms of the terminology and stuff like that. Um, I uh, I don't think they recruited anybody. I mean, look, receiver. I could make a good point that some guys should have been playing receiver that weren't. Jam Williams comes to mind. Um, AJ Turner, his last year, sat on the bench the whole year because he was a corner, and you know I think you could have used him in the slot. I, you know, I'm just uh, I, I'm just really not convinced that you know receiving was an issue. Uh, I think not having good receivers was part of his downfall at Carolina, uh, not pure receivers. And I'll say this too. It's not like for a while they didn't have receiver talent because in 2017 you lined up with Debo Shy and Brian Edwards and Hayden Hurst. You know, a lot of those guys were left over, or you know, Shy Smith was a Bobby Bentley recruiting crusade kind of deal. But uh, you know, they did have some, and then they lost it, and it eroded over time. The cornerback safety thing—I I think there's a good point to be made about having to patch certain holes with guys that were really one thing and not the other. Uh, if you think back to the Florida days, they had really good secondaries. And there were some guys I thought for sure were going to linebackers that didn't. Guys I had questions about at corner that stayed at corner, like Quincy Wilson. I thought he may be a safety in it. No, he's a really good corner. Um, Carolina, I think they were consistently patching holes. Part of that is because the 27, 2016 class – they, don't, they didn't sign a single high school defensive back uh, outside of Chris Smith, who was a, a previous staff commit. He didn't work out. Uh, and then 2017, a lot of those guys got hurt. Jalen Dickerson's still on the roster, and he, he was one of the guys in that particular class that just couldn't stay healthy. You know, So then you're kind of backfilling, and Izzy and JC come in, and, you know, you've got your Stephen Montax and Rashad Fenton's of the world playing. And I mean, it just, it just, uh, it never happened. I, I think it's number one. I think number two, there was two, there's, there's a lot on the safeties in Muschamp's defense, a lot. And so, you know, I think there were some, some people that were swimming mentally because if you play corner a while, then you get shifted over. It's not just, it's not that easy. So I think injuries and, missed evaluations and things like that played into play. And, and, and I'm going to say this, don't worry about it when it's in recruiting. Okay. Don't lose faith in a player with multiple positions in recruiting. That's common. That happens at every single school in the country. Um, number one, when, when they're predicting corner or safety, when they do the rankings, that's just their projection and you can be wrong. I'll never forget Eric Berry. I ranked him third pl- best player in the country as a corner. He was an All-American safety and an All-Pro safety. <laughs> you know, I, I think some guys you think maybe safeties, like I mentioned Quincy Wilson, he ended up at corner, ended up playing pretty well. I mean, you know, th- there's not you – know, a lot of people thought Stephon Gilmore was a safety. A lot of people thought J.C. Horn was a safety. A lot of people probably rightfully thought Izzy McWamu was a safety. Um. So it just kind of depends on when they get there. I think where the red flag comes in, and and this staff has not done this to their credit, because I thought for sure you're sitting there in the spring, you know, you've got Foster and Roderick at safety and nobody behind them, and everybody else is a corner. You think Dominic Hill may slide over, David Spalding, who's young, 
they slide over to safety. They did train O'Donnell Fortune a little bit there, but uh, there wasn't as much cross-training. And that's why when you look at the, the 2022 class, there's a lot of safeties because you have, after adding Karan Prunty to the mix, a bunch of corners with three, four, five years of eligibility left on the roster, assuming all those guys stay at corner, which it looks like they're going to do. So it's a positive thing when you look at recruiting because it's, oh, okay, you're pretty good at corner. You'll be good for a while there, solid. Uh, not making any promises about this year because a lot of first-year guys. But, uh, you know, I, I, I would not, though, you know, because here's another thing you have to keep in mind, Keith. The nickel position, there's always cross-training that takes place. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that there's going to be a single guy out there that's just a nickel. Because you use the nickel a different way. Sometimes they come off the field and they're Sam linebacker and that guy can slide back or, or, or whatever. I think, though, with the numbers, and they've added five defensive backs this offseason, you're probably not going to have to patch as many holes. I'll say this, though, if they have a run of injuries, they're going to have to do that. I mean, you're going to have to cross-train. And every school in the country in the secondary – does that at least with a handful of guys. Uh, I get it. We're all looking for some reason why there were three or four or five NFL players in the secondary and they were awful. Uh, I'm of the same opinion you are. I just don't know, Keith, that the, the cross training uh, in its in its purest sense was the main issue. Uh, and I know it's frustrating to hear head coach talk about cross training like it's this great thing and then they go out in the game and they don't look like what they know what they're doing. So then you worry about it. Uh, but I think with this bunch, you know, don't immediately just dismiss it and go, here we go again. If Torian Gray and Clayton White, keep in mind, Clayton White's a secondary guy. Uh, he played linebacker, but he's a, he's a secondary guy and knows what he wants from that group, along with Gray, who has a long track record. So don't, if they make a move like that and you hear, hey, O'Donnell Fortune's playing safety and corner, don't immediately freak out. <laughs> that's all I got to say. Different defense, different deal. Dre says, is there any word official or unofficial on the status of having a fan day this year? I'm hopeful for one. I'd love to meet the guys and interact, but I can't seem to find any word on it one way or the other. Yeah. They hadn't announced it yet. Um, I don't know how the NIL thing is going to play into this because they use the players are there signing posters and stuff. Maybe take a donation at the door. I don't know. I don't know how you work it. Um, but I'd be surprised if there wasn't one, uh, just because Beamer embraces things, you know, I mean, he embraced the Steve Spurrier iconic Arby's photo <laughs> at media days. Um, they're having a media golf tournament, all that. Now I will say this, uh, and I'm not trying to bring this up, but you know, South Carolina hasn't gotten hit as hard as like Missouri or Arkansas, but if there's a bunch of COVID stuff out there and people continue to not be vaccinated um, and there's a high number of cases, then there's going to be no fan day. Uh, and that's not getting into anyone's personal beliefs. That's just, you know, they're going to avoid that because you don't want your players around a bunch of people, you know, that could possibly get them sick, assuming that, you know, and they're close, I think, to the 80% threshold or whatever, but you still don't want to get your guys sick. So, you know, I, if it gets – that COVID is like the only thing I could see where maybe they go, hey, it's this isn't 
important. It's more important for us to have big crowds at the games and, and, and all that. Um, so that, that's kind of the thing there that I could see being a fly in the ointment, but um, I haven't heard anything like that. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, don't be like Missouri and Arkansas <laughs> if you're South Carolina as a state with COVID. Um, all right, got one more here. Don't forget, this is the I Help Consulting mailbag and text or call Daniel Owens, 843-372-5713 to save money on your business. Also, Matt Odom of Heritage Digital can help your head not hurt from having to deal with technical issues. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Also, iHelpConsulting.com. Anyway, now I'm back. Eric says, hope all is well. I was looking at the rosters for all of our SEC games this morning and started looking to see how many four and five stars each team had on the roster. And noticed that outside of Georgia and in Florida and Clemson, which is an SEC, that we have similar or better talent compared to everyone else just based off stars. Be careful with that. I know it is about much more the star ratings when it comes to talent, but I just found it interesting. It does make me feel like the other eight teams we play – really don't have a talent gap on us. Auburn has 29, four and five stars, Gamecocks 23, Tennessee 25, Kentucky 18, Missouri 7. I feel like a seven-win season isn't as far-fetched as some have made it out to be after looking at the rosters. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I don't – I think you're right. I mean, there's no gigantic talent gap. I think Georgia, Clemson, A&M. Those are the talent gap teams. I don't even think Florida – I think Florida's probably faster overall. Probably better athletes across the board at Florida. Um, whether or not that translates into football players, you know, we've seen the Gators struggle at times. Uh, but also be fast. I mentioned that 2017 game. That was a fast football team they brought in that day. Um, you know, Kentucky 18, four and five stars, Missouri seven. I mean, that's – you know, Missouri and Kentucky are pretty good football teams. <laughs> yeah, I just, that, and that, that just kind of shows you there. I mean, sometimes it's not all about that. But, uh, you know, Tennessee still sitting there with 25. I think I preached to everybody for a long time. Maybe those Tennessee classes weren't that dramatic that were 13th. The Gamecocks were 19th, weren't as dramatically superior. And, you know, uh, my buddy that uh, always questions the redshirting the entire 2020 class thing, uh, and I, I don't know that still that he really understands exactly what I'm saying. He starts talking about this coming year. That 2020 class all redshirting is not, you know, that doesn't mean anything except from a recruiting standpoint, Beamer's probably not going to run into like trouble in year three where half the good players are gone and you, you need massive numbers. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of those guys that maybe not even will play this year redshirted and they get better and all that good stuff, they develop – um, you know, but you know, you look at Tennessee, they've, they've had a lot of uh, a mass exodus of players. They've brought in some guys, you know, we'll see how good they are, but, uh, that kind of thing. So you look at the 25, four and five stars on their roster and you, you think that roster is all good. And I just, I just don't know that it is, I, you know, Kentucky probably top to bottom. If you look at it, player to player has a better roster than Tennessee and maybe Missouri too. And maybe maybe they're better in South Carolina. Um, I think where you're right here, Eric, though, is this. This program was not left in a terrible bunch of shape roster-wise. 
it is much more similar to when Brad Scott left a bunch of good players for Lou Holtz, even though they were one in 10 and one in 21 over two years learning how to win. You saw that it turned. And, and yes, some of Lou's players were very, very instrumental, like Derek Watson uh, in those things. But some of Brad Scott's players, like Kalimba Edwards, Willie Offord, Kenny Harney, Shannon Wadley, Andre Goodman, Sheldon Brown. Um, you know, he, he left Arturo Freeman and John Abraham there for 99. Um, those guys were all Brad Scott recruits. And, and I, I look back on it, and I think this situation is much, much more similar to that one than, you know, what Spurrier ended up ended up with. Now, Spurrier inherited a lot of really good players, but – Many, many of those guys got kicked off, and Corey Boy got suspended for a year. So you started Bobby Wallace at running back first game. Uh, now Holtz left Sidney Rice, you know, but kind of like, you know, I mean, and look, kind of like Sidney Rice and, you know, Kevin Harris last year, you know, South Carolina could really use somebody stepping up that we're not talking about right now or maybe that we briefly mentioned. I, I think when Marshawn Lloyd got hurt last year, everybody, including myself, we, we thought the running backs were in trouble. And Fenwick and Harris were just fine, especially Harris. And then, I mean, who knew? And, and you know, and, and same thing's true with Sidney Rice. I mean, I don't, I don't think Sidney caught a pass. Maybe he was suspended. I don't know. Uh, he really started coming on week two against Georgia in 05 and ended up being national freshman of the year. It was a redshirt freshman. And I, I think when people looked at Sidney, he was different than the other receivers Steve Spurrier had had during his career at Florida. Um, and so there was, you know, and, and Steve Spurrier Jr., you know, it took him a little while, like it does. <laughs> and uh, and Sidney ended up being a superstar. Um, so I think Carolina needs some players like that. But if you're talking about like, okay, so top to bottom, Beamer did inherit a better situation than, than Steve Spurrier or Will Muschamp. It's more similar to Lou Holtz. And that has to scare people because we all know what happened to Lou in his first year. Uh, I think learning how to win, competing, staying positive, responding to adversity, all those things are very, very important for this group this year to reach its full potential. Um, and there's obviously football stuff. Receivers need to catch the ball. Luke Doty has to be good. You know, you got to figure out the back seven on defense and all that. But just from a talent standpoint, you know, there are pieces in place for this team to be solid. Solid, solid, solid. You're not going to get prediction. I'm still holding out on a prediction, though. I think uh, I'm, I'm predicting them to beat Eastern Illinois. <laughs> Way to go out on a limb there, Sherbert. But uh, that's my deal there. That's all the time on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast today. I got to get ready for JB and Goldwater. If you miss my segment, you can always, uh, you know, hit me up, uh, hit it up on the podcast, just like you do this thing. Uh, don't forget JC and Morgan. If you, uh, everybody's going to like, I don't care about the ACC, but you know you do. You, you care about who's going to maybe challenge Clemson in that league. Uh, we had Eric McLean from the ACC Network on J.C. and Morgan late last week, and it was a really good interview. He really broke some things down. Like, I didn't know Miami had 91% of its offense coming back. They play Alabama first week of the season, so we'll see. 
But, uh, you know, really interesting stuff like that about the other teams in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Plus, he talks a little Dabo and Clemson's rise and stuff like that. And again, Clemson's the one program that's done it. It's unfortunate if you're the Gamecocks and they're your in-state rival, but it's the one program nationally that's gone from division hopeful to national title contender and winner. Nobody else has done that, folks. Everybody else has kind of been there before. You know, you may be like an Auburn and go up and down and up and down and up and down, never two down or your coach gets fired. Um, but you're there, you know, Auburn uh, – Won a national title in 2010, played for it in 2013, and was undefeated in 2004. So it cycles. Those programs that cycle, cycle. Now, I'll say this. The next team to make the move could very well be Texas A&M, which is unfortunate because it's on the Gamecocks roster. But reality is Texas A&M kind of been a – since R.C. Slocum left, they, they were kind of in the wilderness and were kind of a division hopeful. And still are in a lot of ways until they make it to Atlanta. They haven't made it to Atlanta. But we'll talk about that later. Uh, Inside the Gamecast podcast, thank you for all the ratings of five stars. I certainly appreciate that. Appreciate all you guys listening. I'll be back tomorrow, later this week, with more stuff. Uh, I'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.